0: Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of the Big Footy Bombercast. I'm your host, Sponsor Thirty Four, and with me, as always, is the Grizz. How are you, mate?
1: Mate, I am flying. We have won. We have some great recruiting news. We'll get to later. I am on a high. This is <laughs> this is good in comparison to the last three weeks. I'm doing all right. How are you feeling?
0: I thoroughly enjoyed yesterday. It's always nice to uh, get a, get an easy easy home win against the struggling interside state. Just to you know, really. Ease into the season,
1: yeah, that's it. Yeah, just a nice cruisy, good for the nerves type of win yesterday, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, well, I don't know about you, but when uh, when Mason Redman took that mark in the with about ten seconds to go, I. Uh, I might have let out a bit of a fist pump with with celebration because because I could just see it unfolding that they'd hit Tex Walker on that half forward line and <laughs> have a shot from 55 out after the siren to sinker. So I it just I could just see it unfolded in my mind.
1: I reckon I just about threw my TV and threw my TV when Dylan Shield turned it over on that wing with about a minute 30 to go. Oh, I just about died inside.
0: Yeah, and the other thing I just want to point out is so Redmond took that mark with 10 seconds to go. We then had three kicks within the last 10 seconds. Boys, oh, hold on to the, <laughs> <onto> the pill. <laughs> but we won Bomster. We won. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Good news. Uh, yeah, right. So so we'll, we'll dive straight in. And There's quite a few positives this week. I mean, I think we've been relatively positive or, or realistic, I suppose, the other weeks. But the one player I want to start with, and, and he's, he's been the dominant midfielder for the last probably 14 months now, and that's Darcy Parrish. I thought again he was just a superstar leading from the way. You know, you, you look at his disposals and you go, "Well, he only had tw- he had 24 handballs and 14 kicks." So, you know, he, he didn't get a lot of I suppose penetration, but he got a lot of clearances. He he got a lot of the in and under the hard, get the ball out to the outside runners, which is which is what we need. And 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 obviously the, the player we hoped we drafted when we took him with pick. Five back in 2015.
1: Yeah, look, he was... I was pretty harsh on Darcy over the first couple of weeks of the season. I thought they went up to what he performed last year, but the last couple, he's been outstanding. And yesterday, I think the, the 24 handballs doesn't worry me in the sense that that's sort of the player he is. He, he's an extractor and then he sort of is at his best feeding it by hand. But the eight clearances, which led or co-led with Rory Laird for the game, really good metres gained, so almost 400 metres gained, which is pretty good for Darcy, again, considering the role he plays. Um, And some really crucial clearances, particularly in that last quarter when the heat was on, he and Dylan Scheel won some really important clearances for us. And we sort of discussed last week that midfield was where the game was going to be decided. And the midfield basically broke even. And what do you know? The the score difference was four points. So, yeah, outstanding from Darcy. I thought that was probably his best game for the season so far.
0: And, and my man, um, the man who's going to win the Brownlow this year, Nick Martin, he again, I mean, how, how good was that blind turn and left foot drilling ball yeah. at one stage? He's unbelievable. I still don't understand how he got through to being a supplementary, it was a supplementary pickup, wasn't he? He, he wasn't even drafted. He was yeah. one of those late sign up with Tex Wanganin and how did he get so far? How did nobody uh, think to draft this guy? I just, it'll, it'll be something that will baffle me for years.
1: There, there was one week or well, no, not even, I think it was like three days less in the supplemental selection period when we picked him up. So. Yeah, I, I, look, West Coast and Fremantle will be kicking themselves. It struck me on the weekend, and someone may have said this earlier. So if this is the case, I apologise to you. But he just reminds me so much of Blake Carousella as a player. Like Buckley, Nathan Buckley said Scott Pendlebury, which I think is a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a stretch. Like if he ends up one of the you know best five midfielders of his generation, that'd be great. But. He's so much of a Blake Carousella vibe, just everything sort of this graceful, in slow motion, balletic sort of feel to it. He, it what I love about him is his, his composure is unbelievable for a guy that's played three games. Like in traffic, he doesn't look flustered. He always makes the correct decision. And he's a finisher. Seven goals in three games. In your first three games of AFL football is, is unbelievable. Um, one, one guy I did want to shout out was a guy who's been pretty good all year, but Peter Wright, in that first half was outstanding and as is sort of the trend with him he starts hot and then sort of trails off but I think that's got less to do with you know his fitness as opposed to the fact that he's just towards the end of games he's getting double triple almost quadruple teamed at different times in the air towards the end of games because we don't have any sort of other sort of dangerous marking threats forward or center yet he's continually crashing packs so I, I love I was a little we critical of him early just a lack of aggression sort of to make the ball hit the ground but he was sort of really aggressive and his aerial work and just not being beaten in the air was really good. I thought
0: he did kick three two, so that's that's five of his eight score involvements. But he did, yeah, that's he, did it. he did lead the, the game for score involvements for us alongside Nick Martin and Alex Waterman, who's another one that that I was surprised probably didn't get a game earlier in the year. Um, and he he just provides another target. He's he's a genuine forward who plays probably in that Jack Gunston mould. He, he's not tall enough to be you know, considered a key vision player, but he does play a little bit taller than himself. So considering our struggles up forward, it has been surprising that, you know he hasn't probably got a game a bit earlier in the year, but I think you could say yesterday that he certainly took the opportunity with both hands. You know he, as I said, he he was leading on the ground for score involvements with eight. He kicked two goals, one. He was just another target, another person that was able to hit up at the midfield and give him someone to kick to.
1: I, I remember there was some talk over preseason that they wanted to turn him into a midfield, um, which I understand. Uh, his sort of frame and his blocking work might be something we we lack in our midfield at the moment, but I guess out of necessity we we. We sort of reverted to him being a forward again, just because we need those options. And you're right, he's not a huge disposal sort of getter at the moment. But what he does, when, sorry, when he does get his hands on the footy, his maximum damage. And you said, you know, eight scoring involvements from wasn't much. It was. 10 touches, sort of eight score involvement from Tet touches. That's an unbelievable sort of efficiency for a guy playing his first game of the year. Um, not a not a huge marking to it because of his height, but um, he's just so strong at ground level, it's hard to tackle him. So I'd oh, agree he had a good game yesterday as well.
0: Yeah, he's one of those blokes that, you know, they thought when he was at West Coast, he was going to be a gun midfielder, but then the glandular fever took over. And, and so he's yeah. just, he, he's lost that ability to, to run out games as, as much as he w- would like and, and something that's still affecting him now. But it's probably worked as a positive for him because it's, it's meant that he sort of found that unique role for him because there's not too many forwards getting around like him, who are built like him, who can throw their weight around, as you've just sort of said there, and, and don't get tackled so easily. So yeah, he, he's definitely made a, a positive out of what was a pretty big negative for him at, at his time at West Coast.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that sort of forward, I don't know if you've noticed, but that sort of forward is getting or becoming sort of more vogue, that sort of undersized full forward. You're talking about Jack Gunston, you know, Petrarca and Bailey Fritch are sort of these more sort of undersized, agile full forwards, Cam half and North. Like these sort of shorter, stockier guys have become really effective as the game opens up when the game was just this sort of flooding the game you needed the height for the aerial contest but as the game opens up and it's more 1v1 guys who can sort of overpower their opponent which is what he does you put a guy his height on him He's gonna, you know, out. He's gonna outmuscle him. You know, he's gonna break tackles. He's gonna swing over onto that left foot and beat him. So he's a real unique matchup, and I like him going forward, even at full strength. I think there's a spot for someone like Alec Waterman. You know, when everyone's fit, it creates a real matchup issue, and you know, we need all the firepower we can get with Peter Wright really playing a lone hand up there at the moment. I wanted to ask you a question. How did you see Andy McGrath's game? Because I thought it was quite good. He had 25 disposals himself, but for the second week in a row. He had a really important job. He kept Rory Sloan to 17 disposals. One of their prime movers. I know it's Rory Sloan's first game of the year, but he's one of their prime movers in the midfield. And he did a really good job on Rory, I thought, while also getting a fair bit of the gap for himself and some good dash provided, which is good to see.
0: I've said to you before that I'm big on Andy McGraw. I've said on this podcast before that having Down is one of the players that you just can't really drop. I think he's in that class of player. So... He does get a lot of bad raps, um, and there's definitely a lot of over-the-top analysis of his, of his kicking, which, which he's, his kicking can be poor at times. He does have this tendency to, to get under the ball so, you know, he'll come out of the midfield and you're sort of hoping that he'll kick it 40 metres forward. And in the end, he sort of only kicks it 35 metres forward because he's put it 40 metres in the air. So if he could just get that sort of thing out of his game, I actually think the negativity around him would probably vanish and people would start actually rating him for the player he is. In terms of defensive effort, yeah, I, I thought he did really well yesterday. I, I did say on the board in the match thread at times that he was actually going to Matt Crouch at the centre clearances. And, and Matt Crouch is is a big, big player for them. Through the middle, he, he's been one of their main instigators of getting the ball out for them yesterday. But if you look at the centre clearances, he actually didn't have a centre clearance. So so he was sort of going to crouch at the, at the bounces. And then you were right, he did run with Sloan around the ground. So I think he, he was sort of playing that double defensive role. Yep. And if you take the fact that crouch didn't have any centre clearances and Roy Sloan only had 17 touches you'd have to say it's a pretty good game now the question of course which could be debated for hours and we won't get into it tonight because I think you and I are on the same page that he was definitely worth that pick is is, is a defensive midfielder the, the kind of play you want to pick one and and I still think Andy McGrath is the player you'd be happy to take a pick one because he's going to play 250 games and if you can get that out of a pick one then you know you take that every day of the week but yeah no I, I thought he played well yesterday and I still think that he's playing well. I think that his position is in the midfield moving forward. I mean, I wouldn't be against if he ever went back down back because we know he's a gun down there. But I just think having him as a back pocket is probably is a, probably a waste of his abilities because he can go through the midfield and pick up those midfielders and play that defensive role. and. Yeah, so, so I mean, I, I thought he played rather well yesterday.
1: I would push back on the, you know, do we want purely a defensive midfielder as a pick one? The thing about him is he's not purely a defensive midfielder. He's got 25 touches of his own. So I would argue that a midfielder that can play both ways, can win the footy, and we, we saw his dash back yesterday, so took players on with his speed, who will also be disciplined enough to sort of cover the opposition's most dangerous midfielders we saw with Trike last week. They're invaluable. Like, they are super, super valuable. You may not be the best midfielder in the team, but I think that player that can sort of play two-way to use a basketball parlance, you know, two-way player is really valuable. Um, mate, you know, you can argue McCluggage, Taranto, McGraw, or you want. You know, I don't think you can pick wrong out the three of them. Another guy I wanted to point out, much improved from last week, Mason Redman. We took some shots at him because of his risk taking last week, but I thought he was incredibly improved yesterday. Took obviously that that game saving mark, but that dash and that confidence and out of the back half took safe options. And then when he got into the forward half, really attacking. And that's what we want to see from him.
0: Yeah, I was going to bring him up when you mentioned that dash from Andy McGrath, because we definitely saw the dash from Mason Redmond and Nick Hind yesterday in, in ways we haven't seen this, this season. And, you know, the quality of opponent certainly contributes to that. But Mason was much better yesterday. He was better at picking his targets. I don't know if he was necessarily safer. I mean, he probably didn't take as many risks last week. I think last week he was trying to force it a bit too much. He still was absolutely, I think he still took some risks yesterday. It just, they were smart. Risks. So as we sure. said last week, he just needed to pick and choose his moments and he, he did that much better yesterday. Though, having said that, when he uh, when he kicked that goal, he did have that one more handball, which he could have given. So if he'd missed that goal, I would have been filthy with him. <laughs> and, and to be honest, uh, I, I think I would have been far less complimentary of him um, than, I, than I have been. <laughs> Uh, which is yeah. which is harsh because you know what one one play can can turn your opinion on someone which is just a little bit ridiculous, but that 's unfortunately how how the uh, how the game goes but while we 're talking about the dash out of the back line, which you know and the, and the kamikaze run a little bit that we saw again yesterday, it does lead me to a negative, and I know it 's one that you want to talk about and, and that 's defending the other way so so yesterday oh. it was incredibly obvious that Adelaide were just going coast to coast without any trouble. There was no real time there where I stopped and thought geez, we've shut them down well here. Because, because, you know, I think a couple of times we got out to, you know, two or three goal lead, and they just get a goal straight back. It just it drove me insane. Every time, every time we got one, like, you know, after Draper kicked his goal, I remember saying to my wife at the time, the last thing we can do here is just give a goal straight back. And what happened? They took it out of the middle. Down they went, snap the goal, away we go, and it's back to within a kick again. They gave us two minutes of um of heart attacks at the end. So as good as it was to see some run, do you think that maybe contributed to the fact that then we didn't see as much run the other way or or that we were opened up a little bit because our, our players took a little bit too much freedom yesterday?
1: I think you could go see all of the above, but I would put another factor in there. That the ball was just bouncing straight back out. Like there was very little heat on Adelaide players as they're exiting defensive 50. I think I think our disposal efficiency going inside forward 50 is 40%, 41.5 I've got here, which if you're only effective with four out of every 10 disposals inside forward 50 you're not going to be able to lock teams in and when the ball's sort of just hitting the ground and bouncing straight back out because we're missing kicks or there's no pressure from our forwards our midfielder and our defenders are actually caught out of position because once the ball goes inside 50 they're taught to zone up to get in the right position so they've left their direct opponent to try and set up the zone Only they can't set up the zone fast enough because there's no heat on the balls that comes out. And all of a sudden everyone's out of position and we just see the ball go whooshka. Adelaide only had seven marks inside 50 yesterday, which tells you that they weren't actually all that efficient going inside 50 themselves, but they were just so open. And I think part of that is we inexplicably had Heppel and Zerk Thatcher as our deepest defenders on multiple occasions. I don't know what mix-up happened there, but they're probably the last two players in our team you wanted as the last line of defense because it's considering their lack of speed. But yeah, I just think the ball had no heat coming back out of our defensive, out of our 450 defensive 50 for them. And our efficiency going in was just so bad that we're turning the ball over far too often. And Adelaide were just, like you said, just making us pay the price the other way.
0: Yeah, I'll admit watching uh, Joshua Shelley turn Zerk Thatcher inside out, and then, uh, then oh. maybe, and then run off Heppel uh, for another goal. Just made me go, <laughs> what on earth were they doing down there? I mean. I think you and I had a discussion about it yesterday and you made the point that Zerk Thatcher is the deepest defender and that's not on Zerk. You know, if, if he's the deepest defender and Joshua Shelley's the, the forward, then then he has to be yelling at someone, or somebody up the field has to turn around and go, geez, where's my man? Oh shit, he's back with Zerk. I should probably go back there and Zerk can come up and be the, the interceptor. Especially if it's someone like a, like a Mason Redmond or, or a Nick yeah. Hine, because if if you're going to have somebody come up as a third man across, you'd probably rather have the tall man in Zerk Thatcher than one of those two. And you'd definitely yeah. rather have one them on Joshua Shelley than Zerk Thatcher or Heppel and that's on the
1: defenders Like right? yeah, so absolutely. if you're if you' if you're on Joshua Shelley or you're on you know Ned McHenry or you you know insert smaller faster player there if it's your man that is you know running forward to be the deepest guy inside 50 you don't hand over to Zerk Thatcher. You go, all right, Zerk, you you take my position further up in the zone. I'll cover him deep because you know if Rochelle or one of these faster guys gets Heppel or Zerk Thatcher deep, they're gonna put him on skates. So that's on the defenders to know when to switch their positions in the zone depending on matchups.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it just it just comes down to match awareness, which is essentially what we're yeah. we're discussing here with the the fact that they were able to waltz through through our zone or failed zone defense end to end on multiple occasions it just came down to a lack of match awareness now that can't happen against the good sides and we saw definitely saw that against Geelong and we saw that in patches against Brisbane and Melbourne so I think yesterday we probably got a little bit lucky that Adelaide as you said aren't that efficient going inside forward 50 and you know as a result we got the win so so we'll take it and run but the lack of defensive pressure inside our forward 50 we obviously had hoped that Will Snelling coming back would would sort of counter that, provide us with a little bit more defensive pressure. Uh, sadly, he went down with a, another calf, which Ugh, brought Devin a Smith, disaster. which did bring Devin Smith in the game, and I thought it was Devin's probably best half for the year. So it's amazing what you can do when you come on fresh legs in the second half of the uh, game, but it does really highlight that we are missing Tip and Woody at the moment. I mean, yep. De- Tex Wanganine, tries his guts out. When, when the ball's in his area, he's running around, he's flinging himself out. It's really good to see his endeavour, but the reality is he's not up to AFL standard yet. And if Tip and Woody and Snelling were both fit and firing, he wouldn't be getting the game now. Whether or not Tip and Woody's ready to go, I, I I wonder whether or not you just bite the bullet and go, look, Texas isn't giving us anything at AFL level. We're blowing his development by putting him at a level that he's not ready to yet. Let's send him back to VFL for some confidence. And let's just throw Tipton to the wolves and see what happens. Because, you know, Tip and Woody's, a very smart footballer. He's very quick, but he's also very smart. So he knows where to position himself. He knows how to get to contests without busting his balls. So maybe that could be the option, but I, I still think they'll probably hold off on Tipper I, I don't see him playing against Fremantle this weekend as, as much as I, I would just be biting the bullet and throwing him straight in and saying, you know what, Tipper, you're the best we've got, regardless of how fit you are. Have a crack, mate. Let's see what happens. Let's Let the chips fall where they may.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm going to disagree with you there. Um, I I don't think that's the course to take, considering what we've just sort of seen happen with Will Snelling and what we saw happen with Jake Stringer. The lack of preseason, lack of preseason games. So neither of those three played any preseason games. They had sort of soft tissue injuries. That you know all the reports were they get, they were getting the loads into their running. Ra ra ra. Two Stringer does a hamstring. Will Snelling does his calf, in the first half his back. I, I know that Tipper's played half against. Casey, probably a bit more this week against Frankston. You can't risk Tipper after the preseason he's had getting back into shape, nursing that calf, it going again because he's not ready. I think you know for the next two weeks, if you have to put it off or the next week or whatever it is to make sure it's absolutely cherry ripe, you've got to do it. Because I suppose the, the balance I'm putting in my head is, okay, we can have one to two more weeks now of Wilhelm... No, sorry, not Will Ham. Wow. Okay, blast in the past. Of Brayden Ham, Matt Guelphie and Tex, and then get Tipper back for the long term. Or we can bring him back early. He does a hamstring or a calf potentially. And then we've got six more weeks of Ham or Guelphie or Wayne Ganeen. Does that make sense? I just...
0: It, I'll, I'll, it, it does. Yeah. I suppose my only point would be that, that we're not rushing Tipper back from his calf injury though. So... so I get where you're coming from Snelling and Stringer. Maybe they brought them back a little early and they've just redone that the injuries they are already suffering from, but it's a bit different with Tippett because I mean, I know he had that calf in the preseason, but it was his, it was the me- the mental um, wellness that he, that he took the leave from the club and he, he seems to have been kicking goals since he came back. So oh, I, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely convinced that if we send him out, he'll do something. I, I just, I don't think he's got that history as well. So, I actually think that, yeah, I mean, as I said, I would be thrown into the wolves. But, you know, I I, I can see your point. I, I, I take your point that there is that risk. But at the moment, it's probably a risk I'm willing to take because the reality is if we don't win... If we don't, yeah, if we don't beat Fremantle this week, if we don't then beat, you know, Collingwood the week after, and we, we roll into the Bulldogs, you know, if we're rolling into the Bulldogs one and five, well, I mean, the season's gone and done. and, and Yeah, we're in it's, trouble. It's probably already gone and done now. Going from 0-3 to finals is near impossible, and it's probably something that's out of our reach. But you need, there comes a point where you go, look, we need to throw everything on the table. We need to have a crack. And, and I think we're at that point now, one and three. We've got two very winnable games coming up, especially Anzac Day. Anzac Day's massive... Not not just because yeah. it's 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 um you know four points and all that sort of stuff. Anzac Day means a lot to Essendon fans. It, it means a lot, I think, to the Collingwood fans as well. So it's a big game. Yeah. It's one that I want to may okay maybe we hold Tipper back for the week. But I'd be pretty disappointed if we didn't at least see him come out on Anzac Day and have a crack.
1: Anzac Day, I, I could probably cop. Because that's three weeks at BFL level. What I don't want to do, and this is all on the premise that he's borderline. So if they say, look, he's he's touch and go this week and we play him, I'm probably not comfortable. If they turn around and go, Hey, look, is Cherry right, pick him if you like, that's a different question, right? It's really about how he's going. If you were to tell me, all right, we're going to hold him over against Fremantle and we're going to play him against Collingwood and he's going to be cherry ripe, I'm all for it. I'm just conscious that we've got Jones probably three to four weeks away, Tipper, you know, a couple weeks away. We've got Cattle coming back. The last thing we need to do is what we've done with Will Snelling and Jake Stringer then come back and get re-injured. But I do agree that, it, I don't know if you made this point, but implicitly I think you do um, that we seriously need to fix our pressure inside forward 50 Absolutely. because it was it was horrendous yesterday and and I commented just, oh, ironically I commented that someone needed to crumb a goal and then automatically Alec Waterman cr- like crumbed one on the spot and yeah you know, made me look a bit silly but that was probably the only time it happened that day and if we didn't mark it or we didn't get clear possession in top 50 if it hit a pack and spilled Adelaide won the ball it sent it seemed every single time. And there was no pressure, no heat coming on the ball as it left it, uh, our inside 50, their D50. And we had next to no crummers. Um, I think Mac Guelph is probably the only one that could put his hand up in that regard. I thought his pressure was pretty good. He probably had his best offensive game for of the year. But it was still a pretty quiet one in comparison to other AFL small forwards, because that's just not his position, right? But yeah, we, we've got to change something up. Whether we bring Dev Smith back in, I don't know, do we throw you know, you know Nick Hind forward maybe and bring in someone who's a bit more experience to play. You know, Tom Cutler might come back, will probably come back this week. Do we throw Cutler back and hind forward? I don't know. But the mix we've got there isn't working. Tex Wanganin isn't up to it, I'd agree. He's got promise. Shows a lot of class when he has the ball in hand. But he just doesn't get enough of it. And you can see he's suffering as a player who hasn't played, you know, organised football for almost 18 months because of COVID and injuries. So I, I agree in that regards that our, our forward pressure yesterday was horrendous and we need to do something to rectify it, whether bringing in Tipper or, or swapping the field around, like I just suggested. We can't go into next week when Fremantle have, you know, Hayden Young, who's an outstanding kick, Luke Ryan, you know, one of the best halfback flankers. You give them the opportunity to rebound the ball outside defensive 50, they're going to absolutely slice you to
0: pieces. The one thing I'll just just say, and and you only threw it out as a as a rough example, and so I'm not holding it to you at all. But for the love of God, do not throw any kind forward. He's still been <laughs> a great halfback flanker. We've got a player who is set in a position. It is classic Essendon to throw them around. Let's not throw around somebody that's set up. But as I said, I I know that's earlier. You were already throwing that as a suggestion. You weren't certainly trying to um stake your stake your flag and 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 say that's what. We had to absolutely do. Um, but, but we did it before- against Geelong, though, didn't we? So Nick
1: Hine went 40 and so, like, the game was cooked by that point, too, all like right, 75 points behind. So maybe we shouldn't read into that too much. But I just, if we go into next week with the same forward of 50 mix, either they need a rocket or we're going to get the exact same result because it just didn't work yesterday. But we've litigated that point.
0: One thing I do want to just quickly raise with you before we move to looking at the Fremantle game, and it's just something probably that's more, it's not necessarily unique to Essendon fans. It's something that's that sort of drives me a little bit crazy about football fans in general. And that is is we seem to have very short attention spans so I raise, raise for example, Jake Kelly. Now I think he's been pretty good since he came across. Um, yesterday yeah, was not. I think you'll agree. Yesterday was definitely not one of his better games.
1: His first half was poor, but I thought he bounced back pretty well in the second half. Um, yeah, but he's been rock solid all game, all season. I reckon.
0: Exactly right. But all the commentary I read yesterday on the socials was, "Geez, Jake Kelly hasn't really found a spot in the side, has he? What's he brought?" <laughs> we've been, we've, we've been sold a dud on Jake Kelly. <laughs> I mean, look, as I said, this is not unique to Essendon fans, but do you think that AFL fans as a whole have really short attention spans and, and tend to comment on what they're seeing at the time rather than actually making a comment based on what they've seen previously? Because I thought for the first three weeks is pretty good. So, so to say that, oh, we've been sold a dud based on a, a very poor half yesterday, it's a little bit... Absurd, isn't it?
1: Yeah. AFL football and AFL football fans are prone to snap judgment. And when I say snap judgment, I mean what has happened in the last 15 seconds. But (laughs) he's also like, the thing about Jay Kelly is he's in a position that if you're doing your job well, no one notices you. If you're doing your job badly, everyone notices. Like (laughs) You can't have a really good game as a back pocket. It's a dour back pocket that just shuts people down. Because if you do that, no one sort of notices you because you're not getting much of the footy, but neither is your opponent. But if you're having a bad day and you're coughing the ball up and your opponent's kicking goals, everyone goes, ah, oh, this guy. Um, but yeah, it, it's a bit ridiculous. I think it's the same when... You know, I, I remember when we had Joe Danaher, and I don't, you know, a bit like Voldemort, he who should not be named. But when he was... <laughs> I remember one Essendon fan commentator, like a commentator or a football pundit that was an Essendon fan was like, if he can't kick straight, this was when he just couldn't kick straight. It was like, if he can't kick straight, should we play him at centre-half back or just trade him? Because if he can't kick for goal, then what's he in the team for? (laughs) i remember just thinking, wow, (laughs) that's what we've got to do. In football media, the guy has the hips for three weeks or, you know, probably longer in Joe's case and we move him to centre-half. like it's just, yeah it's just ridiculous but I've probably rambled on but to your original point absolutely he's been really rock solid the first half was disappointing but he bounced back in the second
0: and and after I just uh say that said that AFL fans make outrageous comments based on short term memories does this mean that we sack Rutten and install Carassella as coach because he is he has a 100% record and and Un- runs runs at zero region. this year that's
1: it well <laughs> 've got to follow the stats, Bon gotta follow the stats carousel one hundred percent truck zero, no context required Bontz. just yeah let let's let 's move on it now.
0: now we will look at this this week 's game, and I think this is a real danger game because I think Fremantle are actually a really good side, despite the fact that nat Fife's not playing and is is seemingly out for an extended period of time, which which is wonderful for me because I actually made a, a bet with a well known poster of ours Jade about who will score more supercoach points this year, Jordan. <laughs> Jordan Ridley or Nat Fife, and it's worked out brilliantly for me. So taking him out, I still think this week's game is going to be largely one in the midfield. They do have one of the best ruckmen, I think, in the league in Sean Darcy. He was pretty quiet, Sean, on his first game back against GWS. Um, you know, Brandon Proust probably is also a very good ruckman and, and certainly exploited the fact that that Darcy was just still sort of lumbering his way back. But It's going to be interesting coming out of the middle because, look, Draper's goal was fantastic. I don't think he was that great yesterday, but I think I'm in the minority. I thought Andrew Phillips was the better of our two ruckmen yesterday. Um, I thought Draper was was absolutely number two. But, yeah, I mean, you might agree. There's there's definitely some people listening who think I'm nuts and can't believe that I'm not um, enamoured with how brilliant Sam Draper is. But, I mean, that one goal aside, his whole game wasn't that brilliant, whereas I thought Phillips was really good with his ruck work yesterday. So it'll be interesting see how they go against you know Sean Darcy and obviously Rory Lobb's a little bit different as a backup ruckman compared to you know Adelaide through Himmelberg in there as their backup ruckman. So so Rory Lobb's no slouch in the ruck um when he's when he has to go in there to give Darcy a rest. So so the big man is where we're going to have to really be on our game because if Darcy and Lobb dominate that midfield we're in big trouble because they've got you know they've got Brayshaw at their feet. Um, will Brody, who of course is the inside bull that, that Essendon fans will, will look at on Sunday and go, Why didn't we pick him? Why didn't we take him? Yeah, and then obviously you've also still got David Mundy, who is just, yeah, what is he, 78 years old and dominating? Like he just seems to be, play, he seems to have been playing forever, that bloke. So Fremantle's midfielder will, will absolutely tear us apart if Darcy and Lobb get on top and, and hand it to them on a platter.
1: You said this is a danger game for us. I don't think it's a danger game. I, I don't know how we're favourites. Fremantle, I think, is clean. Clearly earned the right to be the better team or the more favoured team in this matchup over the first portion of the year. I know, you know they're playing at Had, which um, lends itself to us being the favourite. But I, I, I wouldn't say much. So much to say, it's a danger game as much as it's a genuine 50-50. I don't think we deserve any, if any, much, if any, favouritism. But yeah, I thought. Phillips was definitely the cleaner of our two ruckmen yesterday. Like Sammy Sammy got his aggression back, which is the first the first thing he needed to correct. Like he he's never been the finessey type, but he's always been he's always sort of just made up for it by just being a big bludgeoning sort of ruckman, which we sort of need with a small midfield. But yeah, Sean Darcy is sort of I think what we want Sammy Draper to become, um, in the sense that he's a big lump of a kid, tackles hard, really aggressive, um, and sneaky athletic. Sean Darcy he looks like he can't move but he covers the ground a lot he's very good forward can take a mark and kick a goal so he's definitely going to make Phillips and Draper honest in terms of their defensive run and their willingness to commit to getting back and defend I do wonder about Fremantle's firepower up forward I think they're a bit like us in that they're missing a bit up there and so they sort of rely on a sort of a bit part forward line but their midfield is so powerful that they provide themselves a lot of opportunities to score which will be sort of the key it will be I think the next few weeks for us with how sort of light we are forward or centre and how sort of hotchpot we are behind the ball still the next two or three weeks will be decided by how our midfield goes and you know we're good last week we'll see how it goes again I think fast deck lends itself to us because I don't think Fremantle are quite as skilled as as some of our prime movers are but yeah if when it's one of those things where if we're not on our game and we're sort of fluffing around and we lack intensity, Fremantle will put a score on you quick because they just, um, they bludgeon you forward to centre pretty quickly if you, if you get them in the upper hand midfield. But yeah, I, I probably would favour Fremantle at this point but yeah, if we were to win, I think that would be a really good result. Again, this is one of those ones where you just get the four points however you can.
0: Yeah, I think the main thing we have to remember with Fremantle's forward line is, is they are very tall. So our, and our backline's not. So I think you know if they get on top, just kicking up, putting up in the air. Rory Lobb and Code may actually end up monstering us. But as you see, but there is a certain element of Peter Wright about him. and, He's, he, I don't think he's as good as Peter Wright, so it's not going to be an impossible task for our defence, but it, it it could very quickly become so if the midfield don't get on top. I do agree with you that I think Fremantle are probably going to be favourites, apart from the fact that they um they lost to Adelaide by a point, I think, early in the season, or they may have just got no, no I think they may have beaten Adelaide. They game. won that game. They won yeah. that game by a point, sorry. But other than that, yeah, I mean, they yeah. lost to the St Kilda by 10 points, but I mean, St Kilda are pretty impressive now, so, so I think you're right. Adelaide definitely deserved to be favourites, but We'll just move on very quickly before we go, Grizz, from the AFL side, and let's turn to the AFLW side because you did mention a couple of signings uh, at the start of the, the start of the the podcast. And- the first one we we're just going to i was going to talk about here is is Maddie Chris Now she comes from Carlton. For people at home that don't know who she is, so she won the AFL uh, Women's Best and fairest in 2020. She's been the All Australian team in 2019 and in 2020. She won the Rising Star in 2019. She's been Carlton's Best and fairest in 2019, 2020, and this year, which is. There are some Carlton fans on their board at the moment currently uh, screaming for that to be taken off her and given to their captain. Because <laughs> how, how dare she leave? But from what I understand, she's an absolute gun player. So to get her as our, as our marquee, that's a huge bonus for us, Gris. I understand that there's going to be frustration with Carlton because they're a foundation club. They've lost players before. It's rough on them to lose players. I, I don't know what the conversation's like, but I imagine it's not going to be great for a player of her ilk because really it'd be like taking on, like, say Bond and Pally. If if Bond and Pally won a Brownlow around the time he won the flag in twenty sixteen and then you tried to prime away for the Bulldogs, you would have been you would have been giving up three first rounders. So yeah. it's, it's that's it's that level of play that we're getting. To. That's a great you know, I mean, will she walk in and be captain? I I don't know how I don't know what our side looks like at the moment. I don't think anyone really does, but yeah, I'm really excited to get someone like her into our first year in AFLW.
1: Yeah, look, I've just done some scrolling of social media and one person <laughs> has said it's like, was stolen Sam Walsh after he just won the Brownlow this year. <laughs> Here's a comparison of views. So... <laughs> Look, if she turns out to be a great player for us, great. But it's sort of secondary to the fact that we've taken her from Carlton and they seem really upset about it. No, like, I'm joking, but um, yeah, it's great signing. She sounds like an absolute gun. I I must admit, uh, over the first few years of AFLW, because Essendon didn't have a team, I haven't paid a lot of attention to it, but I've heard of the name Press Barkas and I know that she's really highly regarded. So that's a great signing I think for the team because when you're starting up a new team, you need that star power, I think, to start and be as competitive as you can as quickly as you can. And I think um, there was another one too, Georgia G who I don't know much about, but I don't know if you know much more about her. bond. Do so you know much about Georgia?
0: Yeah, so so Georgia, from what I understand, is a uh, forward. I think. I think. Well, I think she plays a little bit forward. I, I think she's one of those half forward flankers. She can run through the midfield, but she doesn't mind kicking a goal. She she made the AFLW's All Australian squad in twenty twenty, so she made the the forty. Oh, so wow. yeah, so she, again, she's she's definitely a good player. She's definitely a, a player that you'd absolutely take in your first season. She's. I mean, she's not the same as Maddie, but I don't think there's too many that are. Um, you yeah, she has been voted as, as as MVP of the week a couple of times in the AFLW. Yeah, she, she made the uh, the AFLW twenty two under twenty two team as well back in back in you know twenty twenty when when that was first announced. So. She's another one that that's, that's going to be a young gun, and and look, as as we said, there's obviously players floating around the the comp at the moment, and hanging on to them is certainly difficult. But if if these are two players that we can build a, a side around for, the, and, and you really can build because they're that young, you can build the side around for the next. Uh, six to eight years, then then we're absolutely up and flying because one of the biggest problems you have as an expansion side, which which we've seen in AFLW this year, is, well, not, sorry, not this year, but in AFL expansion sides of the past, is, is when they come in, if, they, if you don't get the... If you don't get a good core together, you you behind the eight ball from the start. And the difference between the best and the worst in the AFLW at the moment is is much wider than the AFL, as you as you can probably still imagine. So if you don't have those that good solid core, you can find yourself being left towards the bottom of the ladder. But I, I'm with you. I, I haven't paid a, a great deal of attention to the AFLW previously. I, I actually watched a fair bit of it this year. I actually quite enjoyed it this year. I thought the skills and and, and um, endeavour on on hand was was really good, and I enjoyed actually watching the great Grand final on, on the weekend where, where Adelaide got up. I, I really actually wanted Melbourne to win for, for, for Daisy, but they they um obviously didn't get didn't get the chocolate. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how this unfolds and whether or not we're one of the top teams. I'm not sure yet because, as I said, we don't know what the lists look like. But, I mean, the top team at the moment is obviously Adelaide winning three flags. But there is talk they're going to lose quite a few players, including Aaron Phillips, whose father played for Port Adelaide. So there could be a, a chance this year for an expansion side to come in and sort of fill a void that's going to be left by this Adelaide side Reportedly breaking in two with with quite a few players going going across the port.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose we'll have to get a, an AFLW expert on the pod. Maybe Law will will come on and um, let us know a bit more. The VFLW team seems seems to be going okay this year, so that's always good to see to see and. Um, yeah, it's really exciting, I suppose. Um, I look forward to getting more into it as the recruitment ramps up and i learn a bit more about the players. But, yeah, certainly good certainly a good start so far.
0: Yeah, so, so that will do us this evening, Grizz. So so thank you uh, once again for joining us, mate.
1: No worries. Thank you for having us. It, it's always better to do this after
0: a win. It is always better to do this after a win. And, <laughs> and as always, whether or not you're a, a, a Gary Moorcroft lookalike or a Carlton fan who, who makes the mountain from Game of Thrones look like a, a toddler... If you do enjoy listening by all means remember to like and subscribe and leave comments letting us know what you like what you don't like where we can improve we're always uh welcome to feedback as long as it's positive any negative feedback we don't listen to um but uh but as always yeah as i said please like subscribe and leave comments as to how we're going and we'll see you again next week